Hi, welcome back to the Curious Table. Um, we're glad you're here with us. Um, what's been going on? I'm pretty excited about this episode. We've got a real treat for y'all tonight. Me too, and I wasn't here for uh, 101. We're 101, so pretty pumped about 201. Well, I mean, Queer 101 very much turned into a going down memory lane of, of Queer Knoxville, which I think turned out to be great because it definitely showed where the queer community in Knoxville was and, and, and where it is and where it's going. So I, I think it was great to kind of start this series with the understanding of, of our local queer community um, and, and how that plays in um, what's going on around us. So, um, And I just want Jocelyn to do a podcast and just tell us stories about <laughs> yeah. all the time. <laughs> I really enjoyed everybody's um, coming out stories, I guess, or how you knew that you were queer. Like, I enjoyed hearing that backstory of all of you. I thought that was really personal and... I, I, I mean, I think that would be a great podcast in itself. Mm-hmm. Just being able to sit down with people and listening to their their coming out story. Especially some members of the older queer community who have never may have not had that official coming out or, or been able to have that time to tell somebody yeah. about that. Um, I think that would be a, a great thing to do. Yeah, uh, a great drug out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, it makes, there's this library that does this. You can check out a person. And so they mm-hmm. have this series. They'll do it. And so they have people who are from a... a certain background or um like business or culture background whatnot and you can um check out time with this person so you get to sit down with this person and have this conversation with them you sure that's legal (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's a thing that this light it's a series so these experts or in i guess whatever this field is or if it's you know of a Native American background, you know, someone that may have been a chief in that or lived on a reservation or whatnot. Someone can check out time with this person and, and they'll get 30 minutes to sit down and have a conversation with they them. They get to be curious. They don't yeah. get to actually check them out. Yeah. yeah, they don't get to go home and live with them for a week. <laughs> I would love to, like, just sit down and analyze how I would categorize each of my friends in that card catalog. Like, <laughs> you expert on? That would be fun. Oh, let's introduce our guests. Yes. Um, first, we have... Anastasia is your stage name. Yes, Anastasia <laughs> Alexander. <laughs> it's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. But I like it that way. Yes, yes. Well, thanks for coming. Well, thank you for, for having me. And thank you for reminding me because I'm absent minded as I don't know what in my old age. Well, that's okay. We all are. <laughs> that's all right. And then, I mean, you're just like a fixture around here. <laughs> We've got, we're blessed to have James Allen back again today. Thanks for having me back. I think this is my third time on your podcast. I think, so. I think this is my third time at the Curious good. Table. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm James Allen, also known as Big Gay James. Um, and what, what's your last name? Owens. Oh, okay. If you want to run a credit do. check, please, okay. but please don't. <laughs> <laughs> please don't. 
Um, and I also am the co-host of the Knox Pride podcast on the Knox Pride Network as well. And then Siren, Santina, and I think you might be the this is my reigning fourth yes. time on the <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, so I got to come and talk about some of the legislation twice, and this is my second time coming to talk about the community, um, and I'm really pleased to be here again. Thank you for coming again. And then Jocelyn, not to be last but not least, Jocelyn Fish. Hi. I think it's my third time. I know. I was going to say, I think you're up there, too. This is the first time I was late, though. <laughs> well, we were going to say No, no one knew. No one was going to say that. <laughs> and you had yourself. really good reason for being late. I was. I was floating in the quarry like a manatee. <laughs> Just all my silicone on top of the water. <laughs> It's like a big buoy in the middle, <laughs> like a beach ball floating on top of the water. I do. It doesn't take much. I just took my Crocs off and just put them on my hands and floated all the way. Down. <laughs> everybody else, I did. That's how it happened. That's why I was late. Oh, I love it. Yeah. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> I would like to, um, at the beginning, apologize for anything I say or stories that I repeat that I already said in queer. 101 because I'm old and I don't really remember what I said no. uh, a month and a half ago or whenever we recorded that. Yes, okay. yeah. I would also like to proactively apologize for my lesbian friends that are playing basketball outside if they happen to like come try to harass us in the middle of a recording. That's a risk. Oh, oh did they see you come in? They know we're here. Huh? They didn't say they were going to make unnecessary <laughs> basketball noises outside yeah, of the so They're here dribbling. That's a solid threat. <laughs> and then rounding out our guests for tonight um, is our sound engineer, Jacob, or JD, um, who will, will joining us in a guest capacity tonight as well. So, um, so we're very excited to have everyone back here again at the Curious Table um, again. Um, we just love spending time with you all, as you can tell, you multiple timers. Um but it's just great to be able to sit around and talk about things like queer history and, and culture. Um, you know, and one of the things I wanted to talk about and, and comes from conversations with Chrissy. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Uh, it's different um, terminology, lingo, slang, um, that the queer community has that you know straight people will hear it and and are just really confused by you know when you call someone a bitch um, <laughs> you know not knowing what connotation that's coming from or or hey girl um you know when it's two guys calling each other that you know so like what are some of the terms that i guess the you use or you've heard use that uh, makes sense as far as the queer community goes that would make sense for someone outside of the queer community yeah who wants to start well i mean i i have one but it doesn't necessarily fit in that category well, that's okay. but i feel like i should say that like there's a difference between a drag queen and a female impersonist okay well, no that's yeah i mean i could we there was 
we were cleaning out here at the center and someone had brought some stuff from the old carousel and there was a poster and it had female illusionist yes was the the thing on it um and i I don't think people understand if if and what the differences are between a, a female illusionist and a drag queen and i guess all that performance art that um goes behind it so for those who do that kind of work around here, what um, what is that difference? Uh, were you? <laughs> I would say the biggest to to kind of make it in an updatable terms that everybody would kind of get is I would say just as a blanket statement, RuPaul would be more of a female impersonist, whereas Trixie Mattel. Wait, I don't probably pronounce her name wrong. What's her name? Trixie Mattel. Yeah, Mattel okay. would be more of a drag queen, just to put those. You know, if you look at their their aesthetic, their their visual appearance, you can kind of see the difference between the two. I think that's probably the easiest way to put those two in categories. So what would what would separate those yeah. two? Yeah. What makes that difference? Is it the era? Of well, which they came up in performing, or is it something about the aesthetic? That's very much an aesthetic thing. I think if you're drag, if the point there is, there are folks whose drag, where the goal is to look like a woman, to be a boy, to be a man. But when the stage lights hit you, to have the aesthetic of a woman. Yeah. And there are those who, I would call it camp, where it's a little, it's supposed to be kind of a tongue-in-cheek a uh, caricature of a woman. Um, I mean, I, and, and, and likewise on the masculine end with drag kings, I think that it's like a caricature. It's a clown version. Yeah, over the top. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just, uh, ex- exactly. Like when I hear female illusionists, I think about like a Las Vegas show that's mm-hmm. doing impersonations. Yeah. Celebrities yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like to drop nuggets of burlesque history, so I'm going to give you one. Um, <clears throat> I love looking at old promo photos of entertainers from the 50s, 60s. Um, and one thing I noticed, there's a lot of overlap in the burlesque communities and the drag communities, especially in those like post-World War II era years. And um, promo photos of drag entertainers from that era always had like the big middle of the picture was them in their drag. And then in the corner was a little like headshot of them out of drag. And it was always um, in- intriguing to me because it was always billed by their actual out of drag name as so-and-so, their drag character's name. And so in that era, it really was like the advertising gimmick was, wow, look how butch this dude is out of drag and look what a beautiful woman he becomes. And that was like how they advertised themselves, which today is like, you know, drag queens today, they don't want you to look at them in the drag. So I always love flipping through those books and seeing those pictures. And it's just like there definitely I would see those terms like female illusion artist or male impersonator for drag kings of that era. Um, and I think today, I see a lot of more modern drag entertainers, it's more about the art form itself or the performance than it is necessarily about the, the gender illusion for a lot of our current top entertainers, I think. Well, talking about drag, I, what, what are different styles of drag? Um, I mean, I know you've got your pageant drag and you've got your goth all. Drag, spooky um, drag, spooky drag. Um, 
dance girls. Or <coughs> dance yeah, showgirls. Showgirls. Uh, I think the drag competition television does a good job of like sorting out the major styles. So like RuPaul's drag, well, RuPaul's drag race has its own unique style. Um, <laughs> I think it's all patterned after what RuPaul has done themselves. Right. Um, but then, you know, like with Camp Wanakiki, you get kind of like the comedic drag performers. Uh, with the Boulet Brothers show, you get more of like the drag things. So like that does a good job of kind of a couple of the types of themes that are really popular today. But I also see a lot of just like really unique kind of I'm doing my own thing drag that maybe doesn't fit in into any of those major categories right now, which is awesome. And in so many spaces, I think that's also the thing. Uh, and I think that art imitates life, of course. And as people start seeing blurred lines in terms of gender and gender expression, then the art imitates that as well. And what I love is that these artists are taking drag and their interpretation of it, uh, twisting it and turning it on its head and taking it into these really unconventional spaces that drag probably would normally be in. And I guess because I'm old enough to remember it being dangerous to come and go from the queer bar, the idea that it is just hunky-dory to catch one at any brewery or bar in town three nights a week is uh i don't know i i do think that it's progress i think that that's our queer art being seen by a lot of eyes and a lot of queer light bills being paid by that are art being presented in those spaces and also just celebrate that of them just like being brave enough to go into those spaces and claim space and be like this is my art and it's, I mean, they're booked and rebooked, so they have to be doing well, right? Yeah. When did you start uh, to see that shift in, in drag where it was, in Knoxville? the lines were a little more blurred? Or are you talking yeah. like Knoxville queer history? I think, I think that the first person to really take drag out of queer space and put it in a straight space and it sell out every single time was Hannah Von Stevens with the old city wine bar shows. <clears throat> I think she sold out every single show until that place shut down. Yeah. And the mill and mine bingo. I mean now it's it, still yeah. I mean it's also it's still going. It's I think it may be the longest running drag brunch in Knoxville. And now they're kind of a dime. I'm not reading it, okay? There's they're a dime a dozen. You can catch a drag brunch anywhere in town now. Do you think um Do you think drag loses anything because it has become so mainstream and so no. readily accessible? No. Only, here's, here's my thing about it. Uh, queer people are already struggling to keep the bills paid. And if these spaces are going to pay them and people are going to throw their money at them, then who am I to say that they shouldn't? I'm about... Queer people being empowered and paying their bills and uh, presenting their art, however, and if they're empowered there, if they feel safe there, they wouldn't go back if they don't feel safe, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't know. I don't think that it cheapens it, mostly just because I think that there's enough success for everybody. And as long as you're doing something different than what everybody else is doing, uh, and you're doing, I feel like as long as we, as a production company at my shop, are doing our best work and putting shows out that we are proud of doing we will never have problem filling the seats 
so I don't worry about how many shows there are in close proximity to mine because I worry about putting on a good quality show so that people come back. But I think that is, you know, something to say. Something has to be said for that. As long as butts are still filling the rooms, then there is a need. You know, yeah. there's always there's demand and fulfillment of that. Mm-hmm. So you know, there diamond dozen, as she was saying, but these venues are still yeah, producing and people are still mm-hmm. coming. Yep. So therefore, you know, who's this? Who's to say it's being watered down or anything like that? Because and they're all drawing a little bit of a different crowd. Oh, like oh they're you, definitely. You mm-hmm. are the sober safe space. I mean, you know, space, and then they're. If you think about what it would be like if you were trying to be a professional drag queen, and there's only two queer bars in town. Yeah. Both of which have a stationary staff. That is what seven queens on each staff. Mm-hmm. There are at least thirty queens getting paid to do drag in Knoxville right now. If you were to look at a roster of people who are getting, I'm not like supporting themselves. Yeah, doing they're that. they're that are doing drag multiple nights a week. That are putting paint on their face and receiving cash money to show up to a venue. There are thirty plus. That is way too many to for two queer bars mm-hmm. to support. Yeah, that's just too much. No, I mean, I agree. I I mean, I am happy to see it. I mean, because that's the the only way that it's. People are going to become more comfortable and we're not going to run into issues like we did this year with, you know, the legislation and, and all of that, it, you know, the more it's seen it. I asked the question because I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and they were having this discussion and one of the people said that they felt like the, not the oversaturation, but the places that drag shows are being performed at now that they felt like the queer community were giving away pieces of themselves to the straight community. Mm. Um, That's a strong opinion. <laughs> yes. it is. I, I, I definitely see not just a change in saturation from even like six months ago. Um, I mean, like it just continues to get saturated and there are pro- there's probably at least two, if not three drag shows every single night of the week in Knoxville right now somewhere. Um, but to your point, the demographic of the audience is very, very different, especially if you're talking about these breweries and, and brunch spots. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite experiences has been going to one of these straight bars and watching um, customers show up that don't realize a drag is that. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just trying to eat your eggs. You know, they're just trying to get some like, weird micro brew and, you know, somebody's uh, dancing in their face for money. Um, but you know, I also haven't seen anybody get up and leave in that situation. They've been entertained and it may be something that they would not have chosen to do and they've stumbled into it, but they've left with a smile on their face and they've had a good time. And that's encouraging, especially since some of these breweries are filled with kind of like hyper mask, like, you know, Mm -hmm. cis white dudes, like, I don't know. It's nice to see them. Maybe not the most comfortable they've been, but still like watching Other, the show. Otherwise, would have been never something right. like that. Yeah. Well, no, right. Exposes them. No, you're fine. Go ahead. I told you I got a big mouth. Go ahead, girl. No, yeah. I was just saying it exposes people who, like it being in the breweries and the other places that are not like designated yeah. queer spaces. I think it's an opportunity, specifically with like outside of the box drag, for people to see something that is not like stereotypical and be like. Huh. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. Opening minds. I, I mean, like, I know there are several that it's just like seeing them that outside of the box and being like, 
that is, I am attracted to that. I did not, that is not something I've ever seen before that I would have put oh, together okay. in my so head. for Chrissy, it's a, like, a, a coming to terms with their sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, okay, prime example. I know what tamales are. Well, I now know what they are, but I would have never ordered them. I would have never ordered them. It's, it's over there. I said, but now I've had it, and it's something that I have, it's broadened my horizons. So I feel like the drag brunches and the, the uh, shows would very much do that. It's like you may not have a, 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 a opinion one way or another, but you would never really go into that space unless it was kind of brought to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in that situation, it does get brought to you, and you can see, oh, it's not all devil worship. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. especially if someone's a victim of the propaganda machine. Right. You know, if they're a right. Fox News watcher, then they may be very surprised by how right. like not satanic, okay. offensive, sexual, cool. etc. the week. show turns out to be. Um, but I think that a good point is that even though there is like like a lot of mass market appeal for a lot of these shows, there are still places where people are doing very transgressive art. So I don't think it's giving away any type of power because there's still spaces that are dedicated to really showing things that are truly, truly outside the norm and outside the box. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we also can't demand safety and demand people accept us for who we are and demand our own space in the world and then try to not let anybody else in. We, we have to also create space in our space for other people who are interested in loving and caring for us. Yeah. And yeah. I've, been, I've watched Drag in Knoxville evolve over the past 25 years. The first drag show I saw was at the Rainbow Room in West Knoxville in 1998. And, it, and just being queer in Tennessee, in Knoxville specific in the past 25 years, it's evolved and it looks so different. It would be, it wouldn't make any sense if we took being queer to where it is now and we didn't also take drag with us. If drag was still exactly the same as it was 25 years ago, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense, you know? And I think one of the most disappointing things for me in the past (laughs) few years as drag has evolved and turned into all of these different like subgenres is the pushback from our own community to try to leave it the way it's always been. And I've never really understood that. Like I know when women started doing drag, there was a lot of pushback from the community and a lot of like talk of, are they taking our culture? But it's been their culture the whole time too, you know, like it's been queer culture. It hasn't just been gay man dressing as woman culture, you know, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like I just think that, there's so there's so many different levels of being queer now you know 25 years ago you were gay you were a lesbian or you were a bisexual person and that's that, those were all the only options on the menu and i feel like that's the same way about drag 25 years ago you had what i would have considered to be female illusionist and that was really it you know and then all of a sudden people came around like demetria and ashley o'neill and all these people who were doing a lot of really like more edgy stuff and for me that was the beginning of like the transition from old school drag to what we currently have right now i think the pandemic 
made a huge difference in our local drag community. Um, people all of a sudden could do drag from home. Yeah. And it became a lot more about the visual posting selfies on, you know, I've done my makeup. I can't perform in a bar right now, so here's a look I've put together at home. And it's more about, you know, posting visual representation on Instagram or making a video. It also made it accessible to people who maybe would not have felt comfortable doing a live performance on stage. They can make a video, they can edit the video. If they don't like what they see, they don't have to post it. Um, I think a lot of people started coming out and like, hey, I'm trapped at home. I'm going to give this a shot while I'm here, um, which brought a lot of different voices to the, the medium as well. You used to only be able to do drag in a gay bar that had drag shows. Now you can do drag any damn where you want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was also, listen, drag was different, okay? We painted ourselves with clown makeup. And <laughs> I thought we were not going to talk about this. <laughs> big tubs of, like, cheap beads from Walmart to stone costumes with. Like, it was a feral time. <laughs> um, it was just feral different. It's, uh, it's hard to explain the energy of a Wednesday night at the carousel when there's 25 entries. Uh, and kind of the pressure that that builds, especially when everybody... I mean, it was, it was a wild time to come up and drag. Uh, and I think that that is recreated in Knoxville. There's a lot of different kinds of shows in Knoxville. Like there are some good competition shows and that's what they do really, really well uh, out at the core is like a competition show is their their, their vibe. Yeah. They, that is, I think maybe their busiest nights of the week is on nights, their, their Sunday and Monday night shows yeah. when, uh, and people go to XYZ for a more high-end curated uh, seasoned kind of put together show of that's diverse uh, and polished, and I think that the shows at the breeze it's about reading the room and bringing work to that space that calls for it. So sometimes you're a little cliche when you go and perform at a you see the shows at the breweries because they want uh, they want that campy yeah like they yeah. want I think it's the, about reading the room mm -hmm. and giving the kind of work. That is going to pay KUB this month. Well, you know what I mean. I mean, okay. As an entertainer that's faced with that, when I do a booking that I've never done it for, I'm always going to put my best foot forward as far as what I has made me the most uh, applause or money, um, because I don't want to do something that I necessarily would be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to love this eight minute track about, and I tell you, I'm not going, <laughs> but I feel like the one. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like tables six, seven, and eight have had like four mimosas too many. I don't think they really care much about the emotion of the song. So they just want to see some dancing. I think that it takes a special kind of talent uh, for someone who, like B.B. Alexander, the poor taproom is ginormous. That is a huge space to perform to. And it's essentially and two And she is doing walks. like eight, yeah. It is like an eight, nine minute number uh, that looks, that, that's paced to perform to that space so that they have plenty of time. They, they play in long numbers. It's, I mean, I think that is a special kind of performance. It's different than a nightclub show. It's, listen, shows at Southwest are different. Even the same entertainer that you might catch at a nightclub later that night, the way they perform in a cafe space 
and how intimate it is yes. being three to five feet between people because you can't do that in spaces with blue laws. Well, you I was going to say that's that similar intimate. to burlesque. I mean, mm-hmm. when we were performing at uh, the Edge back then, it was different than when we would do shows at South Press. Because artists are just not limited by those restrictions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a different way of connecting with an audience, too. Um, we actually just had a, Jocelyn and I just had a conversation a little bit about this recently, but that fourth wall is missing in some of these spaces where you can interact closely with the audience. Mm-hmm. And it really, as a performer, it, it you have to change your entire strategy because of that. But also, I mean, like you get a real opportunity to connect. The audience is not just going to connect with your performance. Like you can eye to eye, hand to hand, touch a person, connect with them too, which is a really different experience than performing that, on stage. That used to, that was my one of my favorite things about going to a drag show was having my my tip money at the edge of the stage, just waiting for that that performer to come over and to have that moment. I mean, it was just three seconds, but I mean, you you had that that moment with that point you're like oh i'm the only one here yeah you know <laughs> thank you baby you know whatever it was it just it was that just that connection with that performer and and i um i think drag now in the spaces that it's being had at it, you, you get more of that so um a lot just, of the folks that i started doing drag with were burlesque performers first and you saying that made me think of something that i thought was funny um we had a rehearsal where all we did was hand money to each other and say, thank you, baby. Because it was like such a form we're not used to, you know, as a burlesque performer, at least in the confines of Blue Laws here, we would not be able to take money from a person or interact with someone. And that was a transition for some of us. So mm-hmm. look, it was dedicated practice to lip sync and take money at the same time. Yeah. So everybody at this table has performed either drag or burlesque? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Cool. So... I, it, no, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> you've been trying. For I know a you've been. No, you've been. It's your turn. It's your turn. <laughs> no, it's um. So it just reminded me when you were saying that that, that intimate <clears throat> moment. Um, it reminded me of uh, um, uh, somebody had called me out on it, and um, I thanked the people that were tipping me. I would always get close to them, like almost kind of like I was giving them a kiss, <laughs> and I would say thank you. And they were like, what do you tell those people? I don't know what you do. I don't know what you're doing. Secrets. But I'm just like, I, I thank them because it is the moment. And I feel, I feel very much that, you know, if you're going to give me whatever it is you're giving me, you know, it could be $100, $10, but whatever. But you think enough of me to give that to me that, you know, I can at least say thank you. And I share that moment with you. And it's a little bit more than just taking the dollar. And um, <laughs> so it really messed me up for COVID. It really messed me up that we couldn't do that. So it messed my performing up. Like, I felt very stunted when we couldn't touch and we had to do, um, when we had to do, like, the buckets and stuff like that. I really did not know how I was going to do drag. Like, I had to reimagine how I was going to do it, and I really didn't like it. Um, And now I'm just now coming back out of that, and my body's still not used to saying, oh, I can touch people again, you know, because it was such a shock to say, no, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. No, you cannot do that. And I just, it made me think of it, and um, that's all I want to (laughs) say. I feel bad for anybody in this area who never got to experience the buzz of a carousel on the carousel on Wednesday nights right before amateur hour when... Mm. Buddha would play Sandstorm and <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're taking me back, girl. Staircase. <laughs> I just want to say 
because I do think that it is a generational thing because Champelle would always say thank you. Yes. And Ashley O'Neill, same way, India Dupree, they were always very gracious. Absolutely. Andrea, always very gracious about the way they accept tips and acknowledging people and giving people a moment in time. So I think that that's also a generational thing because I see young performers collect cabbage and not give people the same moment. I think it's Snatch a different... It I think that's yeah. also <laughs> the difference between folks who really give a great lip sync uh, and a performance... Like, like there's, there's space for all to be... For you to be talented yeah. at drag in a lot of different ways. And not everybody can be a dancer. And I think that being a lip sync artist and be able to connect to people in that way uh, is just as valid and sometimes just as loud. Absolutely. When, when a young performer just takes my money and moves on, um, I don't think about it as them being not gracious. I think about they, they're they still so focused on the action of what they're doing that they can't yeah. take a moment to connect yeah. with someone. Yeah. So so for me, it's just like they're See just not them. that comfortable in what yeah. they're doing yet to be able to have that mm -hmm. moment because, I mean, there's ways to have that moment and not stop what you're doing, even if you're just making eye contact for a moment, even if you're just pausing and per like performing in front of them in that space for a moment. Um, so for me, I always interpret that as nervousness yeah. or they're or, in the yeah, zone. They're, 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 they're still focused their, on the action yeah. of dancing and I lip syncing and all that. That too. makes sense. I mean, because there, there have been times when newer performers have just that. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay. Sorry. Don't. That goes back in my phone. I'm done. I'm oh, not done anymore. You gotta look at it from Sarah's That's very true. They're yeah, probably it's just, just afraid you know, they're going to just stumble. Very off-putting. And yeah. I, I guess it goes back to being used to even, you know, even when there was 50 people around the stage when someone, and, but a more seasoned queen would, would, yeah, no, went to, yeah. 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 <laughs> give, me, give me 45 more seconds of my number, honey, because we're not done yet. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember when Chantelle used to do um, goodies and she'd have that little jar on the oh on the chain goodness. and she would just swing it around <laughs> and everybody would just stuff money in it? Uh, one time we took a friend of mine um, out of, that I went to high school with was dating uh, somebody that played for the Ice Bears. And he got cut, and he was supposed to go back to his home in the Ukraine, so she married him, because they thought maybe they might like each other. <laughs> and we used to take him to the carousel, and he thought, about the third time, he said, I don't understand. Whitney Houston is so famous where I'm from. Why is she playing this tiny bar? And he thought, he thought Chantal was Whitney Houston. Oh, because she was. Because, yes. because she was. Because she was. She was. Okay, yeah. on that note, uh, we are going to take a, a, a small break uh, and um, we'll we be back, back in. Come back with yes. more questions. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll more come back with some more. Because there's one thing that you said that I want to um, a, a term that you use that I think people are familiar with, but I want to talk about it and, and, and the things around it. So we'll be back in a few minutes. Dinner tonight was provided by Good Golly Tamale, located in the Old City. Thanks for delicious dinner. Hey James, can you hand me that microphone cord on the bottom shelf? I sure can. Oh no, I ripped a huge hole in my pants. <laughs> 
Well, that's embarrassing. What am I going to do, Matt? I wish there was somewhere I could find reasonably priced work clothes in a pinch. Haven't you heard of the Knox Pride Thriftique? I haven't. What's that? The Knox Pride Thriftique offers unique vintage finds and your everyday clothing and accessory needs. Plus, every dollar spent helps fund programs at Knox Pride. That sounds pretty great, Matt. What are their hours? The Knox Pride Thriftique is open Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Stop in or visit knoxpride.com for more information. Okay, well, welcome back. Um, so, uh, you're okay. You can take them. <laughs> you're okay. It's not, we're not going to explode. Um, so, I want to ask you guys, like maybe shifting a little bit from drag to sort of like, like how you were saying earlier, um, like are there things that, like that, that straight people would be shocked to know or um i don't know about like that we might not know like that you would think that's sort of like you're have such a hard time articulating well, you my said words. something about stereotypes yeah what is a stereotype that is absolutely wrong what is one that that's, is absolutely yes. right yes that's what i'm saying yeah i mean i don't think that you can say any stereotype is just like completely off base because it could be like a stereo something that something that is a stereotype for one person might be fact for another person. Yeah, sure. That's true. Yeah. Um, I'm currently in a situation with my mother, um, a, a very good situation, but she's very open to learning and she wants to be educated about the queer community. Um, and, so we've had a lot of discussions on what what can I say this? What should I stay say instead of this? Mm-hmm. Um, she was having a hard time grasping non-binary, and I and I finally just broke it down to her, and I was like, she she was confused on the they them mm-hmm. b- being for just one person, and finally I was like, mom, why don't you just look at being non-binary as somebody who is both male and female so that is two people so, so that is why they are they them that's <laughs> yeah. why i'm yeah. a plural because i feel like i'm not just one mm-hmm. sex right um she i had to tell her to say it's okay for you to say the queer community is for it's okay for you to say this person is a queer person it's not okay for you to say this person is a queer <laughs> we right. we want to we we you know like there are certain ways that you say it that make it not pointed and it is okay, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just keep reminding her that it's a, she can ask me any question that she wants because she is interested in learning, you know, mm-hmm. and I can't deny that of my mom and I shouldn't deny that of my mom because it's nice that she is interested, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think delivery is, um, important for anything, any kind of situation. I mean, you don't have to use a stereotypical name to call somebody. You can call them anything under the sun and your mm-hmm. intent behind it will make it so sharp and so pointed and will cause a reaction. Mm-hmm. So I think um, a lot of the um, seeking questions, trying to figure out where your footing is, is 
comes to just the delivery of how you ask the question or right. what you're trying to say. And, you know, sometimes that intent is right there, you know, mm -hmm. calling somebody beautiful, but yet, you know, adding a couple more words into it just changes the meaning, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, it's the delivery is very important. What are some words that someone in the queer community could say to another member that someone that is not a part of that queer community couldn't say? Yeah, good question. Um, well, I'm gonna go ahead and say the elephant. Calling somebody a bitch is very open and it's very loose, but it's in, in the queer community, especially in the drag community, it's, you know, it, you know, being that bitch and, you know, being, I think that it's, if I call you bitch, we're definitely friends. Right. If I call you bestie, we're definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, bitch because it, it's a very versatile way yeah uh, but i think that we've always kind of had our own vernacular lingo yeah, like yeah. Our, and i i want to say that a lot of it uh, that's went mainstream and kind of pop culture comes from ballroom and kind of paris is burning and that kind of attitude uh and I think that's where we get a lot of the sass and the, um, and, and I want I see, I just think about when I was coming up in the drag scene, uh, a lot of the people who were narrating were like Erica Andrews and Chantal DeMarco and say they were like saying slay the house down boots. That was like a big thing that just wouldn't make like that sounds like insane. it doesn't make sense to me I, I, I don't that sounds insane. <laughs> you know what I mean I, Chantel would do this thing don't try it and we just thought that it was everything we emulated yeah. it and imitated it on mm -hmm. every kind of thing because she was just like the goddess of the time but it sounds insane so, like straight people had to hear us like <laughs> string along all of this nonsense and just it's no wonder they wouldn't give us our rocks. Are you saying it's our fault that they <laughs> don't understand that? Like fish. Oh, she's painting we fish tonight even... and they're like, what, tilapia? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, no, no, not that, no. And then years Stop. down the road to be told that that's offensive and and but I also think that that's a matter well, of well, a, well, well, painting no, fish is offensive. Is that what it's saying that you look? Uh, it's referring cis. to the odor of a vagina. Okay, okay, that's what. Okay, <laughs> thank you. But I mean, I think, listen, we've also <laughs> we've also learned a lot and grown thank anyway because I think that we've also grown into the word queer and loving it, and I love that. <laughs> I love that for us. Because it's much easier for me to just identify as a queer person so that I don't have to disclose so much about my body autonomy and who I have a desire to have intimate time with. Mm -hmm. So I can just say that I'm queer. Also, this think, because I have a lot of interaction with young queer people, that they don't buy into so much the LGBTQIA they just want to be who they are and they want to like who they like. Yeah. They don't have to explain too much of that to you. Um, I think that it makes it really easy to unify yeah, when it's that way and just kind of reclaiming the word. Because it's also, for me, it's a state of mind and queer is so much bigger yes. than the LGBTQ. That's exactly what it is. Queer and lesbian and bisexual, those are all 
sexualities and being queer is a lifestyle it's much different so do you do you think that the um what is it called with with all the, the, the letters yeah do you think that will eventually be replaced with a singular word such so. as queer yeah because it's been so. added to so uh, much over. i don't even well, know i think that so it much. makes it here's yeah, the thing they yeah. always go for the least of us and I think that the longer that we focus on, and this is just my opinion, okay? Not not everybody is going to agree for sure. But I feel like the longer that we focus on the things that make us different from one another, uh, the easier it is for them to legislate us out of existing in public spaces. 100%. Yeah. Um, and until we start like not worrying so much about that and just focus on working together to facilitate change mm-hmm. uh i think that's where the work is is in unifying and i love the word queer that's mm-hmm. why i love it go ahead no i was just saying but to that point it's very easy to associate uh, with a queer person a queer person so instead of saying oh do you know any gay people well i'm not sure if i know a gay male I don't know. I may not. But I'm sure everyone knows a queer person in one way, shape, or form. So it's easier to encompass that. And, you know, we're very much unified in that that meaning. But when we start distinguishing and saying, oh, you're gay, oh, you're lesbian, or, you know, the, the bubble gets bigger. Or, excuse me, the bubble gets very small. And it's easier to tap that one group. Mm-hmm. And then go to the next group. Mm-hmm. But if you say, "Oh, queer," it can, it's a it's a whole movement, and you can't just tack that out. I think you there's know? also like the queer community. Just it, it, the queer community isn't only gay people, lesbian, bi people. Like there, you don't have you don't. I don't think that you have to be gay to be queer anymore. I mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who are heterosexual who are queer, you know, for many reasons. One, just because of the lifestyle they lead. They're super artsy. They're super into just, like, the culture in general. And then also, you know, like, we have a friend named Eric who is a straight man, but he is in a relationship with two women who are also in a relationship together. So he is in a queer relationship, Mm -hmm. although he might not be the queer part of that relationship, you know? And I also think that there are a lot of people that are gay people and lesbian people and bi people who don't fit under the queer Mm -hmm. umbrella because they're not part of the community and they're not part of the culture, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that what I, what upsets me that it's necessary, but that I'm grateful for, is that my definition of queer includes any marginalized group, people who are misunderstood and not included otherwise. And so what I what I think that that does for us is it makes us stronger. Because um, I consider goth and punk kids to be queer, no matter who they sleep with. Yep. Uh, I consider any marginalized group to be queer, because I think that because we are in the minority... And we are easy to squish. Uh, that it's only through like connecting to each other and supporting each other and and building queer wealth uh, and clout and like taking up spaces um, on the state floor and and in federal uh, capacities as well. I think putting visible queer people um, in positions like that are how we're going to change America. 
because they are not going to advocate for us in rooms we're not in, so we have to go be in those rooms. Mm -hmm. Just have to. One of the easiest things that we can do as queer people is pay attention and make sure that the most of our money possible goes to other people in the community or other people who support the community. Mm -hmm. We can definitely talk with our money. Oh, yeah. Money certainly talks. For sure. I feel like I talk about that every time I'm on this podcast, though. You can't be said enough, I really can't. I mean, yeah. just look at the like, TV shows. I mean, marketing and stuff like that. You know, you have to know your market. And, you know, uh, our brand is very forceful in what we, what we like and what we choose to see and what we want to see and how we want to see it. So if we just make that work for us, I think we would definitely get a little further than what we have but I think we're so divided that uh, we haven't really got to that point yet yeah well but once it clicks I think it's going to be people ask me all the time like how I'm I'm a straight ally I want to get involved how can I get involved and I'm always like have you been to South Press and have you been to the Pride Center like and they're like, well, does she need volunteers at South Press? I'm like, no, you can go spend your money there. Yeah, That's yeah. what you can just walk, walk in there. And and I know that that it's a safe place for them to come as well. And you do a really great job of modeling, like, what community can look like. Um, it is the business model. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that when you come to the shop, you are supporting <laughs> a local coffee roaster, the local apothecary. Mm-hmm. Your bagel was made in South Knoxville. Your cookie was made in Knoxville. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of community to be built because when you come there to the one space, you're supporting, especially now with Flourish mm-hmm. and six other queer vendors. I think that's also about holding space for queer people to be successful because mm-hmm. um, it can lift you up and people who are coming to buy your cookies are going to stop and buy a succulent and maybe a candle or maybe a bath salt. Um, and so it's an opportunity to support a lot yeah. of, of building queer capital, of supporting queer businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh I think that there's a lot of that even beyond South Press. I see a lot of queer markets and queer vendors booked at a lot of other markets mm-hmm. all over town now. Okay. Uh, but I also think that's something that COVID did. It gave people the opportunity to think about what, it, what they would do if they had time to start a business. And they had to find another way mm-hmm. where they took up a, a hobby that turned into a business while they were stuck at home. Avoiding the plague. Mm-hmm. I mean, as bad as COVID. Oh, sorry, darling. A lot of people figured out an alternative way to make money during COVID, but mm-hmm. I just found an alternative way to spend it. <laughs> I mean, I think we all did. I think we all did that too. I was just on eBay <laughs> the whole time. Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very ashamed of what I got still coming, and I'm, I've got a couple more orders to do. So. I did not buy the three-foot rubber chicken. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not promising I won't, but I haven't so far. Not yet. So, not yet. I'm doing good. I feel like you will buy the rubber chicken. You made the comment that you feel like you talk about the money aspect on a bit. That's important. I mean, because can you remember the first time you saw a major organization present Pride merch or something with a rainbow on it and... 
how I mean, the, the honestly, queer community went crazy because our local Target getting stuff in the store that you don't have to buy online just happened like two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Like that's not that recent, but it seems a very common occurrence during June yeah. to anywhere you go, you can buy a pride branded something. And of course I know our community has mixed feelings on that depending on, you know, the intent of that branding and marketing, but it is nice to see, even if it is, you know, lining corporate pockets, it's, it's still nice that that's accessible to people locally and that they can find it. But you can also just go to wildflower tea and get like a local art artist created graphic on a really soft t-shirt. And they do all of the markets around town. Like that's also a thing is that there are queer businesses in town that you can buy your pride merch from. And they probably sell it all year round. Mm -hmm. They do. Mm -hmm. So I think that the opportunity is there. Sometimes I think it's just people aren't aware. Mm -hmm. I think we get in our fishbowl. Yeah. I had to learn to get out of my fishbowl especially with trans people or magic because I was like we have this reservoir of all these name changes where is everybody at and I reached out to uh, people at both bars and then for Appalachian outreach and I'm like do you all know anybody who's ready to get their name changed because I, I not everybody comes to the shop you say that all the time like how do people not know about South Crest I'm like I don't know but not but also just not everybody comes to the coffee shop which is just not, not like if you're thing. not on that side of town. I mean, that's we didn't know about you when you first opened because we never used to come to the side of town. Right. We lived out west, and we just never. We do tend to stay in our bubble. Yeah, we do. But I think a lot of these major corporations saw that there was a shift in supporting queer businesses, and they were like, "Oh, okay." Now they're supporting themselves. We we got to get our, our hand in that. Because I, I have a, a mixed feeling about, you know, it's you know, going back to drag being accessible. Now things that represent the queer community are accessible to people. Um, you know, whether it's because Target wants to make extra money during June. You know, why, why are we just... <laughs> Selling it, you know, why Why don't you have Queer some kind of pride? Queer yeah. all year. What a great yeah. marketing slogan. I love it. <laughs> I, I will say that I know, maybe I shouldn't even talk about it. Target's pride collection was a real fuck up this year. Can I say fuck? I just yeah, did. No, um, yeah, no. But, but they did at least like hire queer artists to do the artwork. And but like, they ended up getting so screwed Did over. they get screwed? Yes, yes. Did they get screwed because they pulled the merchandise out so, or would they have been screwed regardless? I've talked about this before. <laughs> but Ash and Chess got specifically they're yeah. a trans couple in New York, upstate New York, I think. And um, they I'm about to bring you some cards to sell from them. Um, they had their trans couple and their artist and so all of their art was trans theme and their their stuff literally got pulled anything that had the trans thing on it was only available online and so it really hurt them because they like publicly put something out afterwards and they were like we didn't really want to do it but it felt like it was this opportunity that Mm -hmm. we would be amiss if we didn't Mm -hmm. do it and I mean Queer people had always known. I mean, they're very well known, but, you know, yeah. I don't know. Just, I think I've given you a uh, reading from there. I love their tarot deck. deck and yes. I bought I bought everything that they designed at Target while it was still there. I know. <laughs> well, see, that's my hope is that queer businesses will get opportunity. Like, business, like these bigger businesses will 
present that opportunity for these smaller queer businesses. I mean, it's like um, Tomboy X. You know, we worked with them a couple of years ago with the Next to Nothing Fashion Show, and now they're, <laughs> I mean, they're everywhere. Um, you know, so that that is my hope is that these corporations who are allies who are, are putting rainbows on things will reach out to a a queer maker and say yeah like support them for uh, distribution instead yeah. of making your own ripped off version i will say this i don't really care if they ever sell a baby bib that says i love my gay dads uh <laughs> If they would just continue doing revolutionary things like making swimsuits with tucking mechanisms yeah. for trans women and binders for trans men, if they would keep those in stock year-round and be, not yeah. just that, yeah. to me, that is, as a business, being an ally, saying, oh, they're, trans people need to go swimming? What? <laughs> like... <laughs> They might actually need to try on a binder to see what size they need. Yeah, it's, um, I would rather, I I don't mind the uh, rainbow capitalism, uh, especially as a woman of some size who sometimes has a hard time finding plus sizes, and Target allows me to find pride wear and stuff that fits my body. So I'm not going to feel bad for supporting Target when they had what I needed in my size where I could go and try it on and see. Um, I just think that the real work is in being an ally and, and keeping it that because that was really a big thing. Yeah, that was, and that's why that's why the, I think that's why the Target product collection was so heavily persecuted this year because people seen that trans people were going to have joy. And uh, what are they? They're candle blower outers. They seen that they were going to have joy and they wanted to blow out our candles before we could feel ourselves and feel like we could assimilate to go to a water park. Because that's very much a thing, is being able to tuck, for your own safety, to be able to tuck and assimilate and appear to be cisgendered in public swimsuit spaces like that. So it, I cried over the bathroom or over the swimsuit stuff. I thought that that was such a big deal and I knew a lot of trans people who were really excited to be able to go and my swimsuits and young trans men, like young, young trans men who were so stoked to be able to go and get a binder and try it on and see before they, and they were fashionable. I mean, they were really, they were different prints. To me, they, I got to see in real time positive effects that Target did. And I was disappointed when they pulled it all. Because they did pull it all. They pulled the swimsuits too. Yeah. And that's access. That's it's also a thing. It's access where if a kid who is seeking reasonable gender affirming care with unsupportive parents, getting to Target to buy a binder so that they can look in the mirror and see themselves at night is worth it to me. That type of access. When um, the Target over by our house, when they first put the price stuff out, they had those there. And I, <laughs> I knew I looked crazy. But there were some young kids. Like, you could just see them. And I, here I am standing over an aisle crying. crying. Yes, you were. Because, yes. And I was like, I know if someone sees me, I, they're a bit... To what you were saying, it I was like, oh, 
And so then I went and looked, and I saw that Tomboy X was doing this, and I texted John. I was like, hey, do you know that Tomboy X is doing, you know, this bathing suit line? He's like, no. And so then we looked at it a bit. Just, I mean, they had to be like 12, 13. Um, and I'm sure their parents were there. I don't know what that situation was. But for them to be, you know... It's also it was seeing yourself yeah. represented. Yes. But the disappointment is that they pulled that stuff off, and they pulled that stuff off under the guise that they were trying to protect us. But the queer community doesn't need protection; we need representation. Yeah. We've been protecting ourselves for Earth. our whole lives. Never. You know, that's not <clears throat> what we need. We just need to be seen. I think that they target felt for a moment what it is like to live queer in America and they didn't like it very much but they had the privilege of changing that mm-hmm. and that's unfortunately a privilege that a lot of queer people don't have Yeah, we just have to go through life feeling unsafe and doing it anyway and I just always wish that people could see the humanity in it I all know. like I think that's the thing for me that is a straight ally I'm just like I don't like I don't know Listen, the people that want to keep us jammed up are dying. I know. And that's just, that's not me being hateful. That is just a fact. It is. The people who think that that something uh, about queerness is inherently wrong are just aging out. And uh, kids today certainly don't buy into it. And the ones that do are young and impressionable enough to where they're going to get right or they're never going to find a partner. Mm-hmm. They're never going to find a wife if they talk like racist, homophobic bullshit. You know what I mean? They're just, sorry, I guess. No. Uh, they're just not. You know, it's just statistically speaking, <clears throat> you're not going to find that in your bubble. <clears throat> so people will change. Uh we just got to survive it. I think that we're going to... I think that in my lifetime, I will live uh, to see it change. I'm going to believe that anyway. Yeah, I do too. So, what, what is it... What are things that, as a queer community, can we do to help facilitate that change? I mean, I think everyone at this table is currently doing something to change that for sure. I think just the amount of community that we have, I'm speaking specifically in our area. I mean, there's community everywhere, but what I know is our area. And I know that at least this and a handful of other people spend their entire, all their waking hours building the community. You know, I don't think that Jocelyn ever stops, but she's building the community in her sleep probably, you know, um, I think one thing that can be difficult sometimes, especially if the person coming to you or speaking to you is ignorant, um, but one thing you can do is, is try to be kind, especially if someone is actually having the courage to ask a question. I don't talk about my day life very often because it's a whole separate person from who I am here, but um, in my professional career, um, I, I 
work with people a lot. And as a visibly queer person, I have created space where I'm often approached with some pretty sensitive questions. Uh, it may be about their coworkers. It may just be in general, like, uh, you know, I hear this terminology being used. Can you explain to me what this means? And there are times that I'm very frustrated because there's plenty of resources, especially in the place that I work, for them to educate themselves. There's all these opportunities for them to learn. Um, and sometimes I just kind of be like, this is not, this is literally not my job. Um, but I also try to be like, you know, it took courage for you to come and ask mm -hmm. this. And I feel honored that you feel safe to ask me these yeah. questions. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to try to be patient and answer these questions to the best of my ability or connect you with resources so that you can educate yourself. And um, so, you know, it's almost like being an ally back in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, if someone does have the audacity or courage to approach you about it. Again, it's like the delivery, like yeah. Anastasia was saying earlier. It depends how they come, yeah, come to exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, as a entertainer in this community, I've, I, I've pretty much been asked just about every question under the sun from, you know, do you like to get it on with all this on to, you know, do you, you take it off or you know you know uh, it's like is this what you want to represent yourself at I mean it's just all of that and kind of taking that and using it to educate I think is very important mm -hmm. because again just like you said they have the courage to come up to ask and you can kind of I I feel like I can kind of know where the intent is yeah. before I answer that question because there is sometimes where I'm just like oh, this is the fourth time today <laughs> oh, no I don't want to be a woman no I don't want to you know and it, it's, it's very frustrating but then there's you know times where I generally think that by answering the question to the best of my knowledge I am helping yeah mm -hmm. and that gives me peace yeah so, but well, I'm sure it's also very exhausting. <laughs> very, yeah, it is. But allyship is—it's a two-way street. Like we can't expect our allies to treat us one way if we don't give them the respect yeah. and treat it. You know, like, yeah. and I say all the time, like, you don't have to be a straight person to be an ally to a queer person, good or bad. There are a lot of people in our community that are terrible allies to our community. Well, we just had this conversation on the the last episode. We we talked about allyship and that was one of the things I said was it's, it's not just a a straight person you know being an ally to the queer community or a, a white person being an ally to a POC but it, it's there's allyship within each of those communities too um, I mean because there's a lot of I mean, I, I reference growing up I had a trans family member they were just there. They were at dinners, you know. They, they were part. Of, so I thought I thought I was a an ally to the trans community. And then we came on board at Knox Pride, and I realized I was nothing of an ally to the trans community. That's why doing trans work has became so important to me because I saw that as a gay man, as a queer person, I wasn't an ally to someone else that was in that same community as me, so. I think we all had that revelation at some point that, like, you realize that just because you're part of the community doesn't mean that you're 
an ally that you have to figure out yeah. your allyship, you know? Yeah. I think the thing for me is that I think having a trans kid that I always am like, I want to change hearts and minds. And that, that feels sometimes like something you'll never be able to do. And also, like, I do in some way believe that we can move the needle by showing people the humanity in the community. Yeah. And just, it's that simple. Like, it feels that simple, and it's so fucking hard. Yeah. Well, one it's at a so time. so hard to get right. You know? Yeah. One, one, one at a time. Our, I mean, yeah. our community isn't where it is now because one day everyone had the exact same revolution at the, at the same yeah. time. You know, right. like everybody yeah. has a role to play. Yeah. Uh, a community to build. I think that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a trans person, sometimes I feel like people want to get emotional labor for me to feel mm-hmm. like uh, they infant infantilize trans people like we're incapable uh, I have, have feel like I've always made the biggest impressions with people by allowing them to see me and to love me mm-hmm. um, and I do think that that's the way that we change the world is like building out our own little sectors of community because it's all connected Right, the community that I'm building over at South Press is connected to the community <coughs> that you're building over at XYZ, uh, and the the community that they're building here, mostly just especially because social media has connected in such a way. Mm-hmm. You really see it. This past weekend was Iowa, and I was looking at pictures, and I'm thinking of all these people that I've seen and performed with over the years at different venues, and I'm like holy bejeez, all these people are in the same room. And I was like, but I'm connected to them. I remember meeting them backstage at this and that. And then I think about all the people that we've shared dressing rooms with over the years and kind of how far they reach. And then we're connected to them. And then, I mean, even all the way up to old RuPaul's Drag Race, most of us have at least met one or two of them, right? Yeah. At some point, and then they all know each other. So we, we're really connected to a much bigger family unit, dysfunction and all. Well, they say that everybody knows everyone between seven people. Within seven people, you can connect yourself to just about anyone. I don't know what book that is from. <laughs> I've heard it too. But I, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's also a lovely queer film called Six Degrees of Separation with Will Smith in it. And if you've not seen it, you should. You get to see Will Smith's butt. I watched it just for that. Okay. <laughs> So let's talk about some other stereotypes. You had mentioned that some of the questions you get asked are, because you're a drag performer, uh, does that mean you want to be a woman? Uh, I think that's a stereotype a lot of people think, is that all drag queens are want to be women or are trans, or all trans people are drag performers. Um, thoughts about that stereotype yeah. I mean we know it's not true but I mean how, how do you how do you answer that question when someone asks you well normally that comes out and I try to head it off by you know how do I how do I necessarily address you and they was like do I call you Anastasia or do I call you John and I'm like okay well I deal with it as however you see me at that particular 
moment is how I would like to be presented or um, addressed as. So, you know, but I've got the hair on, the makeup on, I'm in high whore drag and I'm coming through, you know, Anastasia. Yep, 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 loud mouth, there she is. And then when I take all that out, I've got the glasses on, hair up, walking out, don't talk to me. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's definitely John, you know, and um, I really tried to make the two very different. So more loud and crazy with Anna, more reserved to myself as my uh, natural state, as I would call it. But they both are me. They yeah. both are me. They're both an extension of myself. I wouldn't say that they're fake in any way, but I just kind of, for Anna, just more so, just turn it up a little bit, just a little bit more to, because she is a entity or, you know, a force not necessarily a person you want to go camping with, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that's how I deal with it. You know, however you see me at that particular moment. And usually when I do that, it kind of puts them in the mindset, oh, this is not something that you do all the time. Mm -hmm. This is not something that I'm going to see, you know, when I come over to your house. You're not going to get Anastasia cooking dinner. You know? I also think that that's a generational thing. A lot of queens from the same time that we were brought up and the queens that we looked to had a persona. Yes. Meaning that when they showed up to the bar, it was very unassuming and you really had no idea sometimes even who they were coming and going unless you knew them, knew them. But then they would go in and get in drag and come out and be a totally different person. For even when they were off stage just tishing around it was that was part of the persona but it was separate i don't know now i guess we would call that branding that's queens do it for rupaul's drag race it's weird for me because i don't feel like i brand i don't feel like i brand myself as jocelyn the character the 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 queen anymore i feel like i'm just an old queen who does performance art do you know what i mean i think that it's just different now for what it feels like for me of course then again that red dress is plastered everywhere <laughs> so i really cannot say that i'm not a caricature of myself <laughs> well and even saying like even saying that drag queens want to be women is a stereotype is not necessarily incorrect incorrect for some people you know for a lot of people drag is their first sense of the first time that they're learning that they are trans, you know, like it's, it's really just situation by situation, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, I, it's I definitely think it's an interesting way for people to explore their gender. I will say when I started doing drag, my intention was to only do feminine drag and just do like a, a characterized version of what I already was as a burlesque performer. I did not think I could do masculine drag until we played a game in the troupe and I dressed up as a male character and I was like, oh my God, who knew that this was inside of me? And it did really kind of awaken some aspects of my personality. I mean, you guys don't want to see me in male drag because I get really flirtatious with everyone, but it's like a, a really aggressively flirtatious, um, which is not like my burlesque performer persona, which is not like me as a person normally. And so, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that even though, you know, I am not trans and, and I do drag and express this masculine side of me as a performance art, but it really did connect me with something that was in my soul that I did not know was there before it happened. So it definitely is a way for people to play with gender 
even if it's some, some of that may be performative and some of that may be like understanding themselves therapeutic. I mean, it, that's not an unfair assessment for me. I did drag and it removed, growing up in Southern Appalachia, I received the message that if I were to dress into women's clothes, that there was something perverse about that. And so it kept me from being authentic, but I did theater and doing drag kind of gave me permission to uh, present feminine. And then the more I looked at myself in the mirror, I was like, this is who I'm meant to be, this reflection that I'm looking back at. Um, and so it did, it made it okay. Now, granted, I also quit drag for a number of years because I felt like I had transitioned and, and it just wasn't a part of me anymore. And it wasn't until seven years I had not done drag at all and I popped back out and uh, I've had to continue on since. If you can consider what exactly. I do now, drag, I'm not sure that it is. It's somewhere in between. I think it's drag plus. <laughs> it's yeah. like drag and like Disney plus. More. Yes, like <laughs> Disney plus. Jocelyn, Jocelyn, Jocelyn plus. <laughs> I'll take it. Well, I just feel like everyone should get to know themselves, and I say that loosely, but nobody understands exactly what I mean. But I really think that everyone should really take time to get to know who they are, yeah. what your boundaries are, what your likes are, what your dislikes are, and I don't think, you know, as living, you know, you, you kind of think that you are going to do that every day, you know, just doing different things. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. But we get stuck in our bubbles. We get very much stuck in our the course of action that we're doing at that particular moment. So we kind of lose sight of other things that if they never come up, they never come up. The tamales. The tamales. Exactly. <laughs> so hot, tamales. hot tamales. Okay. <laughs> so, it, you know, I, I, I try to tell people, you know, take time to really get to know yourself, especially after breakups. You know, that's when you're trying to reinvent yourself. That's when you're trying to put yourself back together. And it's not necessarily that you're broken. You just don't know who you are at this particular point in your life. You don't know. So introduce yourself. Get to know yourself. Go rocking mountain climbing. I don't know. I'm not going into nature. I know that nature's tried to kill me a couple times, and it just doesn't work out. So, but, you know, who, who to say that 10 years from now, five years from now, or whatever, I'm not going to have a love for hiking, you know? Yeah. Who we are right now is not necessarily who we're going to be. It like, shouldn't be who we are. And it shouldn't be. Yeah. You know? I mean, we, we completely and we changed. talked about that. And Queer 101 was mm -hmm. who we were as a queer person individually when we came out is not who we are now. Um, <laughs> you know, the and, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm not the same person Ooh, at 43, 2? 40, am I 42 or 43? Yeah, girl. You're 42. 42. 42. 42. I'm not the same person at 42 as I was at 39, you know? Yeah. Like, no. And for more reasons than just that there was a pandemic in between all of that, you know? like We're all works in progress. There's always. And it takes all kinds. I would have killed we, my younger self. I wish that I was... I wish I could go back to being my younger self, but knowing the things that I know now, I'd be more confident. I'd probably have a better... A better time, yes. <laughs> just yeah. in general. That's the thing about life, though. I know. Is, You're right. <clears throat> is that I, I don't think that life gets easier. I think that we get better at it. I think that we just get better at problem solving. Absolutely. And when things come up, we just know how to handle them better. That's My 30s were absolutely my best decade yet in terms of knowing who I am, in terms of knowing what I want in terms of making a plan and, and setting goals and then executing the plan to achieve the goals. 
And my 40s, I feel like are shaping up to be even better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, the way it should be, honestly. It should. Well, I think that we're, we were tricked into thinking that getting older was a bad thing. <laughs> right. Well, and, and then we, we keep it a secret, and then too. We, the youth, they still aren't on to us. Right. <laughs> and then we, like, as, we, as I've gotten older and it's like, ah, oh, this is, and especially it's also looking around and watching other people that I care about thriving mm-hmm. and just, like, slaying it and just, like, really putting it all out on the table consistently uh, and not just in my media circle just all around town there is just so much queer excellence in Knoxville just excellent producers and shows and people who are doing peculiar things that are just different Mm -hmm. than anything than anything I could do or come up with it's just different and it makes it their own yeah there's a lot of queer excellence to celebrate in Knoxville Mm -hmm. That's something that's been in my crawl lately is like celebrating that, like that excellence and that, um, are you laughing at me? <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. Been in your what? Huh? You've been in your what? Crawl. You crawl? Like walking, crawling? No, <laughs> like in your crawl. I don't know. It's just like a thing. I've, I've always never heard said that it. Like clutch? I don't know what that means. Is that a clutch? I assume Talking you mean about like terms. on your in your brain, in your, like in right. your, on your path or in your oh, mind no, or no, oh, no, like you're. I would have just. I don't know how to do it. With it. I've got watermelon yeah, crawl in my head. Crawl, like in your. Do the watermelon like, crawl. Get you, get you in your gut. It's yeah, it's like you just can't your, like in your brain. I don't know stop thinking about that one, but I do know that it's not crossed on a cracker. It's crossed is a cracker because it's convenient. Did you know that? If we're just talking about random stuff we recently learned, I just learned that 60% chance of rain doesn't mean there's a 60% chance of rain, it's 60% chance in it that area happen. in the map. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 60% of the area. Yeah, where we're I thought rain. it meant there's a 60% chance what? of rain, but it oh means 60%. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I, I, I am proud to know and ashamed that I only found out like three months ago. That I'm with you on that. I was quite impressed that I felt like such a meteorologist. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of terms that we don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And you crawl. And you crawl. Do you guys think we're going to have to have another queer episode? I feel like we need (laughs) one a month. Like, I feel like there's not. We still haven't gotten to all my sex questions. <laughs> 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 Can you just have a sex episode? I think that's well, what right. we yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, we've talked about yeah. that. We, 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 we all just... dress like Sue Johansson? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? I was thinking of uh, Dr. Ruth, and I was thinking oh. of, wait until she tries the body wash. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, right? Yeah, we did. Yes, Show yes, my age. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. Wait until she tries the body wash. <laughs> so you said you, go ahead. So I'm going to come in and Dr. Ruth. Okay. I like this. It's a plan. Let's do it. Well, that, and we, because we had planned on having some of that discussion today, but. Um, there's so much there's, there's so much but also being able to separate queer you know sorry. queer people and we the whole attention is is to provide some education whether it's for straight people or for younger queer and we don't want people to just associate queerness with 
their sexual orientation. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, very it's true. so much more because that's I think that's where uh, I don't want to say confusion, but where a lot of the stuff comes from is is people can't separate the two. Um, a lot of the hate mongering comes, yeah. from, comes from that, that. like religious belief yeah. that this particular type of sex is unholy, mm-hmm. um, or that that it, that agenda is being right. pushed on them. Or well, that let's all just of these see what other aspects in their bedroom, man. Let's just bring her out. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, we're so we're trying to figure out how to to have that episode where yeah. it. Um, where I'm it's always not trying just, to figure out how to have that episode too. <laughs> <laughs> where it's not just you dress the part. For the listener, you guys got to see the video of me playing basketball, though. We'll have to post a picture of Zara. Zara told her earlier that she looked like she was wearing the lesbian uniform. You don't have to be lonely. And what's funny is this is literally my lesbian uniform that my lesbian friend bought for me when we do lesbian things together (laughs) so that we can both wear them at the same time. I love it. Scrape letters off of a window. Yeah. 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 By not lesbian so, powers unite. So. <laughs> I mean that leads to good, you know. So yeah, the, you know, there's joking about lesbian uniform. Are, are there other things like that that? I mean, I can talk about lesbian stereotypes all day long because most of them don't apply to me. And uh-huh. it's one of the reasons it took me so long to discover my sexuality because I just have nothing in common with the stereotype of what a lesbian is supposed to look like. But that's going to have to be its own episode, too. (laughs) I I feel that, though. Listen, people have uh, questioned my womanhood because of my interest in dirt track racing and going hunting (laughs) and camping and uh, just doing a lot of outdoor activities because they just feel like I should be more feminine in order to appease and I, can, I have that side of me. I can be hyper-feminine, but authentically, I like playing in the dirt uh, and, you know, get lost in the woods. Well, that's like every gay man knows how to decorate and loves to go shopping. <laughs> you haven't met my husband. Those things are not true. No, you, have not, not true. <laughs> you have not met my husband. No. I, I, I mean, I love John to death, but... He can't decorate. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to edit that out. Nope, stay nope. in. <laughs> I mean, it was up to my husband. I love him to death, but our colors would be beige and taupe. Well, I'm not going to sit here and say my husband has no taste because he has great taste. Well, <laughs> I don't have a husband. Yeah, the great thing about my husband one, is I decorate however I want. That is, uh, that is an ad. James is single. Yes. <laughs> Are there other little things like that um, that you hear people say or that maybe are, are said from like a, like, you know, lesbians in U-Hauls. I I love lesbian jokes involving U-Hauls and Home Depot. They are always funny to me. It's funny, though, because it happens a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that one, It's funny, right? It's not, it's like not hard enough. I don't feel like, I do not feel like lesbians are marginalized (laughs) enough for us to not laugh at Home Depot (laughs) jokes and U-Haul jokes. Say something lesbian. Home Depot. Rent free and always. Okay, sorry. I'm go. Go ahead. Listen, I try to get them to be a sponsor of 
of the festival last year, and they refused. U-Haul? <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or Home Depot. That would be great advertising. U-Haul. I thought it would Do they not understand? There is a, didn't you say one of the local franchises it owned been, by a lesbian couple? Yeah, I so would have the, put every softball team in the back of the U-Haul. <laughs> and pulled them all the way down Gay Street. You watch my ass. I would have done it and giggled the whole time. I'd just drive. Did you get it? Did you get it? Did you you sing? I see you laughing. You got it. Now, the the U-Haul place that we use in halls is owned by a lesbian, and she only hires um, female workers, and I love going in there and... Um, watching the guys try to explain to them or try to, and, and they will. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I've never been to that one. It's yeah. right down the street. The, the one I, that's in the old com- um, Kmart? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was in there <laughs> when we were moving. I went in to, <clears throat> to pick up, because they went and delivered to our Norris house because it was too far out of the limit, and so they wanted to charge us $600. I said, well, that's bullshit. I'll come and pick it up myself, and next time I'll pay the $600. Trying to pull a... <laughs> oh, backing up a single axle is a pain in Yeah, the I parked in the middle of the road and unhooked it from the truck and just pulled it myself into the driveway. Oh, I, got I feel it. like that so checks with you, though. I've seen the whole <laughs> thing happen in my I, brain. I, I, I bet you made so it look much. easy, too. But I was in there, and the guy, she said she had to go get his unit or something because they have storage boxes. And he said, well, honey, do you need me to go and, and drive that machine for you and get it? You just tell me where it is. She said, um, sir, my name is on this, the lease of this building. Um, this business is under my name. And um, I bought that machine back there that's going to pick up your, your thing. She said, unless you have another question about our business here, you can wait for me outside. And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I want to meet her. <laughs> no, love me. We can. Maybe I just need to reach out. To yeah, her. yeah. For the yes. lesbian mm-hmm. stereotype yeah. episode, <laughs> yes. please bring yes. it. And in. for those that don't know, the lesbian stereotype about U-Hauls is <laughs> is women commit to each other very, very quickly, quickly, and they move in together, get a U-Haul. Shortly it's like after they make, yeah. make out, and they're like. Yeah. I don't like the way you explain it. It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's for straight people. I <laughs> Did I mention I love you? <laughs> uh, how would you say it? What would your funny version yeah. Nope. Let's hear it. Let's nope. Hear it. I will oh, not no. be that baby Huey. Nope. Uh, after, after we're done, will you tell us? <laughs> <laughs> after the red light goes off. <laughs> Give you the ring. Well, I feel like we're just going to have to keep doing this over yeah. and over again. Well, because no one has explained to me what slay the house boots down means. <laughs> oh, I'm I couldn't even to... remember the phrase. I was like, well, slay the, the house down, down boots. Yeah. It is oh, a see, term right. slay the house down when boots. a queen is bucking. Yeah. She is bucking. And you're probably asking what bucking is. Oh, I know what bucking is. So if she is bucking and she is working it up, she's getting the dollars and she is, she's at her ultimate form. Okay. She is slaying the house down boots. Why boots? Because no, I mean, I only slay in boots. Because it's what Dora said to boots. (laughs) She said, slay the house down, boots. Boots. (laughs) Hola. There you have it. Yeah. 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 It is a 
it came from YouTube with Erica Andrews talking about they were her Slay the House Down boots. She had a pair of boots that were dancing boots. Mm-hmm. And when she would wear those, she was they were her Slay the House Down boots. Oh. And I think that it just became kind of a caricature because she started winning national titles and booking all over the country and really becoming them. And that, I mean, we all know, we've all seen the videos of her even just from YouTube in the late 90s and early 2000s. She was just like the icon. And I think that it just became a caricature of her. I mean, and I mean, I have a pair of boots that when I put them on, people are like, oh, she's dancing. Okay. Yeah. Oh, she's dancing. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, get your dollars out. She's yeah. dancing. You remember that time you um, did the flip off of the stage at the Millen Mind? You. You didn't look you. at you. <laughs> I know you were looking at John. I was just looking. No, I do know. It was looking. not on purpose. <laughs> you were looking. I was just like, oh, just, you did. <laughs> Jocelyn. Not on purpose, and I don't remember it, so I must have had a gummy. It's been a long day. I was like, okay. you. No, you were looking at that, me. You were looking right past me, darling. You, that drag brunch where you uh, you had boots on. That's why I thought about it. And I don't you, remember this. You oh, flipped, everybody you did. that was there does. Yeah, it was the Amelia Parker drag brunch that just happened not too long ago. Yes. Oh, this one even old. This is no. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, anyhow, you did a flip off the stage wearing boots. So yeah. you those are you slayed house, house, house down boots. boots. Yeah. Okay. Um, I broke those boots. Oh, doing that. I slayed those boots a little too oh. much. Oh. But I have more. I always have boots. I always have boots because I they're they're for me they're better for ankle support because when I'm doing all of that stuff because I've rolled ankles and Ooh, trying to do all that stuff so I mean I'm not going to do as crazy as I can in stilettos. There's just no. I was gonna say you know how you keep from doing that just don't. Mean- don't do that. Just stay on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I try. I honestly try. And then it's it something. It's worked for me. me. <laughs> it's something about the music and the and the show. So if you're ever at a drag show and you want that performer to just kick it up a notch, show the love. You don't even have to necessarily tip them. I mean, tipping will hurt. But um, if you make the energy, just elevate the energy. If you elevate the energy, that will make them just match you and then if you really wanted to dance start hooping and hollering hooping and hollering and i'm like oh oh, oh okay oh, okay and then next thing you know you know next thing you know i'm flipping how old were you when you started and what you don't have to tell me how old you are now just... i was a reasonable age when i started i was a very reasonable age when i started drag i'm 18 19 uh, yeah, I I the gay came to the carousel and you're like I can do that. I started drag in 2005. 2000. That sounds right. 2004. 2005. 18 years ago. <laughs> just so you know. Only you just had to do the math, didn't you? <laughs> you know the thing about it is though is that you and I started around the same around time. Around the same time. You and me and Lachey mm-hmm. and Giselle. Uh huh. Um, and it's, it's, and it's amazing how many of us are left. It, I mean, it was fierce. It we was fierce competition. I love it. It was just, it was, you, it was, uh, you, back in those days, you almost had to be a booger for a while before you got better, but they made us better. They gave us the critiques every week. And, um, but now kids can sit at home on YouTube and watch a tutorial and then makeup is different. Remember we were painting ourselves with clown makeup. 
and they have stuff to cut creases with and they have all these all guides and all this stuff and they have accessible makeup because back then we really if you wanted really good makeup you needed to well that and if you didn't have that you had to go like mac mm -hmm. and then right. expensive. you had to get expensive but mm -hmm. now they turn 18 and they come out already knowing how to paint their face and sew and they've been running that eight count in their bedroom since they were 12. <laughs> yeah they can run an eight count but just can't walk <laughs> Just can't walk too still. <laughs> but you know, it it was just it was it was a, a very different environment, and it you know back then you had the older queens to help you and get you where you needed to be. You know, before you hit the stage, we also had six gay bars then. We did, so there was plenty of places to go and work. I okay, mean, every single gay bar had. No, I'm not saying. I'm also not. I will be a little shady. Not every gay bar had the best cast. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, not every gay bar had a show you wanted to see, but every gay bar had a cast. Every, they every had, gay bar had that one entertainer that you went and go smoked. Yeah. Or three of them. I was being nice. I'm not, I'm <laughs> just saying that there, it was so, it, it was so gay bar saturated in those days that it was hard to get good quality shows at every venue. Now, you want to talk about saturation. Back there, we had some that saturation. That was different. But now back then, we weren't really safe in these straight, heteronormative spaces. No, we would absolutely. have been hate crime if we had went uh, to Liquid on the Strip. You know, we all, you know, just going to my car, you know, we had the buddy system. Uh -huh. And then we always, I always had some kind of weapon on me, just in case, because there was very much a fear of something happening going to the car because they wouldn't mess with you when we were all a group. Well, sometimes they would, just depending on how drunk they get. But it was very few and far between. But where they really got you is when they picked you off when you were going to your car. Mm -hmm. Or when they picked you off when you were coming into the bar. Or when you went to smoke. Or, you know, if if the bar got too packed and you had to pee. <laughs> you just went and found some bushes. That's where they would get you. So, you know, it, you had to have that thicker layer of skin also to be awareness and you had, yeah you had to very much be aware aware of the sounds around you aware of what this person next to you is actually doing are they are they staggering or are they pacing or are they you know plotting mm -hmm. so this may sound like an ignorant question but when you say that's when they get you like what were like some of your experiences in those situations um, uh, you don't have to share. There was a lot of violence on White Avenue. The, the thing about it is, is that behind the carousel, it used to be a big vacant lot. Uh -huh. Yeah. And around 2009, they cleared that lot and erected an 11-story uh, student housing development. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about first and second year students, lots of young frat boys living in that unit and there was like a jimmy johns or something in the basement of it we had a quiznos way. girl oh yeah quiznos <laughs> um, some good food in that. but it was a lot of drunk college <laughs> okay. kids okay. coming and going and you know they mama would... and daddy wasn't there to 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 teach them right or wrong and there's a bunch of queers next door so yep. get some drinks in them they go let's what? go queer hopping yeah. Would they just verbally harass you or physically oh, no. or both? Oh, no. I mean, they, okay, one prime example there, you know, the queens were outside because we like to mingle and we like to talk to people. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we did was we would stand outside right when there wasn't really a show going on. And we kind of be like, okay, this is a safe mm -hmm. spot. We're out here. It's a safe spot. Come on in. 
and um, we kind of usher in the new people that because we had a lot of college students, mm -hmm. a lot of young college students that has never been in an environment, maybe never been to a gay bar. So we would stand outside. I've seen them go in the truck and then like pick somebody up on the back of the truck and then like let them go. The person that's driving would like haul it and they would then let them go. Um, and then they would tumble and you know we would have to get them and then you know we couldn't stop them because the truck's going. We where they would be on the back of the truck and they would come in with um, uh, bats and all kinds of stuff and just try to swing. I've seen that. Or they would be in cars and just like throwing stuff out the window. Verbal stuff. Spitting. Oh spitting was a big one. Spitting happened just about every one. night. Yeah. Um, you know, firecrackers, they would throw, you know, that balls just of piss. Bottle of piss about uh, 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 things of shit. Um, there was all kinds of uh, just just to make our lives hell. Yeah. You know, not necessarily make to, scared. Yeah. And that's all it was about. But let me tell you, when you had six uh, individuals like Champagne Denise, one of the things I will never forget. Um, how I cannot honestly I can't remember what exactly happened but she was outside something happened out there and she like grabbed this guy that was in the truck she grabbed him and let me tell you that was the last time we ever saw him, <laughs> him on that side but she grabbed him and was just like you know what the fuck are you doing you know I'll beat your ass right now in this dress and then you can tell your homeboys that you got beat by the drag queen and you know I've heard her tell people that before too yes and you know seeing that and you know it's just to the empowerment of it but you know as far as what they did they they just tortured I will tell you one of my favorite stories of my favorite stories of violence outside <laughs> I was not yet old enough to get in, so probably probably sixteen and maybe seventeen, okay? And I'm sitting outside um, on the wall. And uh, when the bar would close, you couldn't drive down Y Avenue until seven or eight in the morning because the people would just file out of the bar. And stand in the street. A herd of queers. So it was. It was a herd of queer people. And they just wouldn't. Mm. So this. <laughs> uh, white Chrysler LeBaron convertible comes down White Avenue. And um, comes past us. And screams faggots. And I seen Candy Carrington. Because, you know, there's a stop sign right there. I seen her chase them down to the stop sign and take off her high heel shoe and plop it right in the top of his head, the driver, right in the top of his head and embedded her heel probably an inch and a half down in his skull. Oh my gosh. And they of course stopped and called an ambulance. Now, that's a pretty badass story, but what makes it better was that she followed him to UT Medical Center so that when they removed her shoe from his head, she could get, she it, could back. get it back. <laughs> and that is 100% a true story. I was there to see it happen. Wow. That's how Elvira kills my, the villain in her movie. <laughs> you hear my second favorite story of violence on what I... <laughs> Jocelyn's podcast can be stories of violence. <laughs> stories of violence. It can just be any stories. She can tell all the stories. Well, was, I didn't know we were going to be telling well, stories. I got was, a few myself. It was in, okay, so this would have been in 2009. The first 
year after students moved into that high rise, okay? And right beside the carousel, above that one wall, they had those steel, like, picnic tables coming out of the ground that were like high tops. And me and Christian and Deja Brooks were all sitting out Sister. there. And the next thing you knew, there were full cans of soda hitting the pavement. And when I say hitting, not like dropped, I mean being pelted. If one of those cans of soda had hit us, yeah, it would have killed us. Mm-hmm. And it came pretty close. And so they ran inside, and I ran and waited until somebody got buzzed into the building. And I went up to the top floor and down to the very end and I pecked on the door and I grabbed two of them by the shirt and pulled them out in the hallway and they slammed the door. And I beat them boys within an inch of their life. Mm. And when I went back into the carousel, Marlene brought me two beer pitchers full of ice water and let me put my knuckles down because their teeth was stuck in my knuckles where I had wore them out so bad. They never threw cans of soda at us again though. I just remember being out there one night when we were, (laughs) it was the herd of queers and somebody from that apartment building yelled down faggot at somebody and Jacqueline, bartender Jacqueline just yelled back up, you're going to have to be more specific. (laughs) I mean, you know, I I don't know where this whole stereotype that we are weak individuals comes from. We've been fighting our whole lives. We've been fighting our whole lives. What's another fight? You you want the Energizer Bunny? Call me a faggot. Please call me a faggot. You know, I might spit like a girl, but I hit like a guy. It's cute. They think they're saying things that we didn't hear when we were like nine years old, you know, on the playground. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like a a sissy who will take out their hoop earrings and, and beat someone's ass. I, Diamonds form under pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's the, unfortunately, that was the, and to some extent, the, I, I can't know, I don't know the word, but it, that's the environment, I guess, that. Uh, I, I will kinda, say, I think that we have to be tough because we don't have gay elders. Uh, just many of them didn't survive to mm-hmm. stick around long enough to really teach us everything they had to teach us. I think that's why it's so important that we are there for these kids to be very visible, well, like queer representate, like queer, visible queer representation for them so that yeah. maybe they live in a world where they don't have to be as tough as us. But we had to, we didn't have well, a choice. I feel like, you know, very much that we have become the gay elders. Weird. <laughs> Ain't that weird? We, James said that we were at Southwest for some event and <laughs> there was a group of us in the middle and he he made that comment. He's like, look, we, we're the queer elders sitting here at, as all these young people were filling in around us and, and mm-hmm. there was something magical about that because, like you said, we, we didn't have that. We didn't. And so to to fill that space for people, um, it's well, a, something that's kind of fun. Champel cool. was a dick. Champel. I know, but I'm t- I'm saying that the great majority of people who would be our queer old elders would still be alive if it were not 
for HIV. Mm-hmm. If the AIDS Absolutely. epidemic had not taken an entire gender, because we, you think about the queer community as a family unit, and if you look at it that way, we had generational trauma. Mm-hmm. A whole generation of us who had stories to tell and wisdom to impart died before they got the chance to tell us everything that they had to tell us. And we, and we are we are suffering. Uh, we we're tough. We're tougher than we had to be. Mm-hmm. Our hearts don't love with our whole heart because we're so scared of being hurt. Yeah. Or being rejected. Yeah. Because we were so scared of being rejected by our parents when we came out or never finding a sense of community or heaven forbid being the only gay person. Yeah. Yeah. We have trauma. We have trauma associated with our queerness. But hopefully we take that and we learn from it and we foster a community for these queer kids now to where we don't impart our generational trauma onto them. And it wasn't just coming out to the family and getting rejected it, it you know it was the world the re- the world rejected us oh, yeah, you yeah. Know? well y'all so, are hanging out at a table and people are throwing full cans of coke at you i mean what that's strangers that are treating you that way well, the hope yep. is one day that we we don't have to come out Absolutely. Everybody is gay. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? Let's talk time. about that. <laughs> yeah. Really talk about that. I really do I think that, that everybody, yeah. to a certain extent, I do too. is queer. I, I really do believe that. It just depends on how much you, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of like a dial situation, you, you know? Yeah. How, you know? Well, and like, things grow, a lot of things grow from a, from a place of fear and Somebody, I believe, that is a, a homophobic, homophobic person is probably a homophobic person because they're afraid of something, and that something is probably the things that are inside of them. They're probably I a homo. Always that. Yes, <laughs> probably a homo. I've always thought that. that Why would it bother you so it? much? Yeah. If it's not, if it's not something you're trying to suppress. Just can't get yourself. it out your head, right? right. Um, it's in your crawl. It's in your it's crawl. It's in your crawl. <laughs> <laughs> I've been taught. Okay, darling. (laughs) Queer 201 is going to lead into Queer 301, (laughs) Sex Edition. I think it has to, okay, this is what I, after tonight, I realized, I think it has to be separate because this, this queer conversation deserves a level of um, intimacy and respect that I think is separate from the sex conversation. And I think... That was the thing that was queer, queer to me. That was queer to me tonight was that <laughs> as we started talking, it's like there's such a need for this conversation, yeah. and the sex conversation is separate. They're not queer. People are not just their sexuality, and so yeah. I, so we just do queer sex it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that a lot of the world needs to realize is that being queer doesn't have anything to do with your sexuality. Yeah. Well, well that's why I'm with... hoping these conversations... Well, but too. we've been reduced to... to our sexual partners and our sexual acts because that's what they made illegal before. Do you know what I mean? That's right. what we fought so existence. hard to. Right. Like yeah, they've, all... they've made my, my identity uh, is much more multifaceted than just whom I sleep with. Absolutely. Uh, I've been reduced. I don't sleep with anybody, so it doesn't make up any part of (laughs) who I am. I think when you get into uh, the discussion on sex, that that who you choose for that conversation is going to be important. Um, 
and setting healthy boundaries as to what, what what's on the table and what's not. Yeah. And I, if I can give guidance, I would suggest maybe single people. Because mm-hmm. when you get queer people in a room talking about sex and they're partnered, what I say about my sex life it says what about my partner? Right. It says what about their sex or preferences too, and I'm not really at liberty to discuss that. Right. They're not here to talk about it. No, it's and I, I I do think it's important that people see those those differences, um, and we continue to have conversations like this. Um, yeah. I mean, not only for the straight community, you know, or or non queer people to. But I, I think for the queer community to continue to grow mm-hmm. and to change these conversations, just basic conversations about where we've come from and what the hope for the future is, um, is, is very important. And I, I don't think, I think we went for a long time without having those conversations. Um, and I think there was a lot of divide in the community that didn't allow those conversations to be had. And, and I think those walls are, are finally, slowly starting to come down. Yeah. And, um, and that's why I, had, I asked that question earlier. About, <coughs> do we think the acronym is going to be replaced by a single word? Because uh, I really think it, it is going to be. Um, I think the community as a whole is going to make such a change and such a movement that, um, that there's just going to have to be one thing that, that so. that's, the narrative I, that's the narrative I'm pushing I think this is that's big, my gay agenda I think the biggest part too is that we I think for a long time we were waiting for permission or waiting for the time slot to have the conversations and we're not anymore we're just having the conversations yeah. now and I think that that is probably what is mm-hmm. catapulting everything into the direction that it needs to be going and to your point about them dying off, <laughs> um, I think that as they do die off, that like the ones who, um, I totally just lost my train of thought. Getting <laughs> back in your call. Yes, I mean, I know. That as those people die off, that, that we're only left with ones, with the people who are trying to, yeah. you know. But just think. One day, somebody is going to refer to you as the gay elder. And they're going to have very fond memories of you. Yeah, or well, they you, already you know, do. They're going, to, they're going to look at us and say, you know, this person helped me. They facilitated my being. They're going to say, you remember what a dumbass James was? <laughs> <laughs> they're not. But, you Andy know, was funny there's not <laughs> a day that goes by that I don't think about what Mama Jean would have thought about the work that I do now. There's not, I mean, Champelle lived four blocks away from where the shop is right now. Right. Uh, I think about often if she would have walked down to the shop. You know she would have. Uh, I, I just think about those folks who who have left us and kind of the legacy. The, what I am able to do now what I do because there was a time in my life where they kept me safe. Mm-hmm. And they fed me french fries. And they shooed the pedophiles away, and they smoked joints with me, and they just made sure that I was okay mentally and physically and emotionally. I didn't forget that. What elder queers we did have did right by us. I do feel like we were blessed with 
the ones that we did have for the time that we had them, definitely, I feel like we had some of the best. You are carrying on that legacy. Yes. For sure. For me, the carousel was very much a safe place. And I am very just disheartened that, you know, none of the the young younger generation will get to experience that because it was very much a place that you can go in and didn't have to know your backstory or whatever but you could rest assured that once you were in those doors nothing was happening to you yeah. you didn't have to be worried about pick, being picked up because they, they had security there but you know even the 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 um the patrons that went there watched out for you and you know if they felt like something was going on they walk up to you hey are you okay nod blink are you sure you're okay looks like you've had too many to drink so let's get you some water yeah. or you know something like that or if they see that a, a creeper on them they would just kind of just intervene and just be like what you doing what you doing no you can go over there you know and that type of environment i feel knoxville is is not necessarily missing but i don't think that there's an area that encompasses all of that I think, I, sorry, I'm getting choked up. No. Sorry. But it happens. my experience with that is I'm very tied to the carousel. And I think you're doing a fantastic job with creating that, that, that welcoming space. Um, I, I just wanted to tell you that as well. I think that we, uh, we have fond memories of the carousel because that's where we grew up. Yeah, I mean we were kids. I'm a These kids don't know what they're missing. You know, I lived mean? on yeah. I lived on White knows. Avenue, right across the parking, right behind the carousel, <laughs> for when I was from when I was like early 19 to right after I turned 20, and I was at the carousel every night. All I had to do was walk through that parking lot, and I have a lot of a lot of fond memories, and I have a lot of fond memories of like Jocelyn was saying of the few elders that we did have you know i think that i've mentioned this before on either this podcast or my podcast but the last time i ever spoke to mama jean um he said to me that i reminded him more of him every day and i'll carry that with me until i'm gone that's maybe the most (coughs) special thing anybody's ever said to me in my whole life because mama jean was just an angel We still never not had another queen mother. Right. Well, just that, that. you. I feel like we have another queen mother. Yeah. I don't know that that's the case. I do look at her cookie jar, and uh, I feel like that's her in my head. That's Mama Jean when I look at the cookie jar and the, the little <laughs> queen of hearts in the top corner of the shop. Because I strategically placed her up there the day Shannon Devon brought her to me. Uh, but I do think Mama. I think about Mama Jean a lot because I do feel like she would really enjoy the space, and, and I feel like she would have listened to every episode of every podcast that the Knox Pride Network puts out. Like, I didn't want to say. I just want to clarify. I think you're doing a fantastic piece, but I, it's not the same. For me, for you, right? I you get know? that. So that's why I wasn't meaning to diminish no, your no, space no. at all. I, I get just that. To say that there was no disrespect there. No, no, no. I get it. I get it because I feel the same way about the carousel. But I also listen. 
a lot of core memories uh, of my like young drag and like really getting on stage memories were at uh, the Rainbow Club West and uh, were at XYZ in the early days of the Thursday night show when it was me and Dimitri and Christian and Big Lily Luscious. <laughs> uh, like I remember really enjoying the time on those stages here in Knoxville just all over because you and I started drag around the same time. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, I'm right there with you at that 18 year mark. That's a long time and a lot of stages, a lot of stages that just change names over the years and seeing shows and entertainers come and go and people come and go. It's just a lot of history. But think about the young people who are having those moments right now. That's what I'm saying. It's the, the, the carousel is to us what to some of these kids, especially the young ones, who couldn't get into core or XYZ even if they wanted to go to a queer space. They can't. So they're finding what we found at the carousel at South Crest Yeah, now. and like my yeah. queer kid doesn't know not right. having <laughs> this. I was just going to say, you know, what are, what are yeah. they going to say yeah. one day when they're this age? Like, oh, I remember South Crest. So you're making Johnson. history, kid. Yeah, absolutely. And they're building community, and they'll take that community with them into whatever they're Well, hopefully they'll go on to achieve their own shit because they see a trans person that's like them mm-hmm. doing out here things. doing it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We didn't have that. Yeah. There was no, there's no looking around and being like, well, what model do you follow? No, they have lots of examples. Well, hopefully these conversations will help that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that. This podcast is it's going to change the world. Happen, but next time we're talking about babies and bats. We are. <laughs> I, I do think having these conversations are are very important. Yeah. Uh, yep. I mean, even if we weren't doing this, if we were just sitting somewhere having dinner, I um, totally agree. That's why we ended up talking for like I three know. hours. I know. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh wow! Yeah. So, yeah. so until next time, we I want to thank you each of y'all for being here either for the multiple time or um, for the first time um, but yeah. always no, but you're welcome back anytime too. oh yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and just, just invite me <laughs> I'll show up there's always a seat at the table, table. okay <laughs> alright bye I've enjoyed love it. you The Curious Table is produced by Chrissy Betts and Dustin Camp. Additional production and engineering by J.D. Davis. You can find us on all social medias at The Curious Table Podcast. Who would you like to see at our dinner table next? Email us at thecuriousTablePodcast at gmail.com. The Curious Table is brought to you by Knox Prime Network with funding from the United Way. The Curious Table. We'll be sure to save you a seat. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Knox Pride.